0: I wonder if you want to know how I pick platform topics in advance of when I'm going to deliver them. Here is the answer. Bailey bugs me about it. (laughs) Bailey, who... (laughs) Bailey, who, as many of you know, is our chorus director, seems to be under some sort of impression that she needs to program music more than, you know, like, what, 12 hours in advance. (laughs) And so, especially on chorus Sundays, it seems, although not entirely, it's like she cares about the music every Sunday, weeks in advance of a platform, she will start sending me emails or Facebook messages or texts, or she'll stop me in the hall in the office and say, so, what are you going to talk about on November 2nd, huh? Do <laughs> you know yet? Huh? Huh? <laughs> was that that That's pretty good Bailey, I thought. That's not bad. <laughs> Thanks. What, she said, lo these many weeks ago, what do you have to say about beauty? And she got for quite a a number of weeks, actually, a sort of existential whine about this platform from me. I don't know. It's going to be like one Mary Oliver poem after another. Well, just... Mary Oliver poems. The leaves, then we'll do the swans, then the geese, then the grasshopper. Incidentally, I do think there is a Mary Oliver poem which acknowledges the existence of other human beings in the world. I've heard it talked about. I have not been able to find it. It's mythical, the mythical Mary Oliver poem that mentions the existence of people I presume that that person in the poem is a groundskeeper or a gardener or something because someone has to keep it all nice for the rest of the poems. But then there is this one, this Mary Oliver piece. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. So listen, I don't really hate Mary Oliver. (laughs) Actually, I like her. I am from upstate New York. You know, we wore wool sweaters and walked around. It's just that sometimes I feel like we think that for something to be beautiful, capital B, it has to be, if not a blue iris, which would be ideal, obviously, at least weeds in a vacant lot picturesque in their spareness, you know, Or a pile of small stones, but not just any pile. I mean, I have piles of small stones in my backyard, and they're not the stones Mary Oliver is talking about. It has to be a certain kind of beauty. And let's let's be honest, shall we? Because, you know, beauty equals truth and all of that. The beauty we're talking about, the beauty Mary Oliver is talking about, the blue iris, or the small stones, just so, or the geese, or any other of a huge variety of deeply poetic images. I don't mean to pick on Mary Oliver, who by all accounts is actually a lovely person and does write beautiful pieces. But the kind of beauty we're talking about is specific, I think. It's a kind of... Um, well, I think it's a kind of New England beauty... It's a kind of Euro-American, classical, upper-class kind of beauty, you know, the spare weeds in the vacant lot. It's like restoration hardware catalog beauty. (laughs) Do you get that catalog at your house? It's about an inch thick now, and I will say they are offering a $10,000 pool table this year, so I think they may have finally gone off the deep end. Now, obviously, there's not really any such thing as restoration hardware beauty or, or certainly white upper-class beauty. Or anyway, there aren't things that are only beautiful to white folks or people with a higher income level or any particular group of people. But it's also accurate, I think, and this is where my existential whine about Mary Oliver comes from, it's also accurate that the eyes we see with, they're covered with a lens, a lot of lenses maybe, a lens of race or class or ethnicity, not to mention individual life experiences. Even we who pride ourselves on being free thinkers and iconoclasts, we too are caught up in what is considered beautiful by society as a whole, what we are told to believe is beautiful. That spare restoration hardware. No color in that catalog. You notice that? It's all gray. I'm sorry. I really, the restoration hardware catalog was a little much for me. I watch Project Runway. Any of the rest of you? Really? Only a couple? Are you kidding? It's a great show. (laughs) So I watch Project Runway. It's on Lifetime. Now it used to be on Bravo, moved over. Not sure about that. And I'm always fascinated. I like it because there's really an element of just kind of talent and artistry in it. You know, there's a little bit of drama, which is mostly annoying. But mostly, it's about people doing things I could never possibly do. You know, with talent, I can only begin to imagine. But it bugs me, too. I like about Project Runway that either by design, so to speak, either, either by design or simply by happenstance. They have contestants who are from many countries, many races, many ethnicities. It's a relatively, um, a relatively diverse group of designers that come together at the very beginning. But I feel like as they narrow those designers down, as they look at each look that goes along, they miss a huge part of the conversation they could be having. They talk about different preferences, and there's always a, a trio or a quartet of judges that might like different looks. But, but they also have conversations about taste level. Nina Garcia says that all the time. I worry about the taste level, she says. And I wonder, well, whose taste, exactly? What do we mean by taste level, you know? There was a contestant on this last time. Um, Now I'm worried I'm going to spoil Project Runway if anyone's behind it. Anyway, there was a contestant on this last time. It's okay. Um, Who was an African-American woman. She was from Detroit. And... um, and she actually, she made it really far in the competition, and so she got to design one of the really big shows. And, um, and you know, the, 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 the different collections were all different from each other because they were done by different people, and, 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 you know, they had different design aesthetics and different ideas. But I noticed with her, as I often notice with their designers who are people of color, that there's more than the usual conversation. Well, who's the girl you're designing for? That's what they'll say. What, who's your girl, do you think? Now, no one has the conversation. Could it be that part of what we're reacting to is that fashion, what we, what we call beautiful, what we call taste level, is a white industry, largely? That the fashion that we have here in America is a particular, narrow kind. They never have that conversation. No, they talk about taste level. They ask who, Who's that girl that you're designing for? And sometimes I just want to throw, like a sock, I'm usually folding laundry, so I just want to throw a sock at the screen and say, you know, maybe people other than Heidi Klum like to wear clothes. (laughs) Maybe there are people who don't look exactly like Heidi Klum looks. That might be the girl. So there's a conversation about Lens that they're missing there, I think. Now, who cares, right, about Project Runway? I mean, we're just talking about fashion or poetry, maybe, in another context, or music. The importance, I think, is because beauty, and fashion is a kind of, of beauty, right, beauty has gotten all tied up with other things in our society. You know, the quote from Keats, truth is beauty and beauty truth. That's all you need to know. And then Ralph Waldo Emerson did one better and said, truth, beauty, and goodness are all one and the same. That's a lot to put on beauty, truth, and goodness, also in the same package. Even Albert Einstein refers to those three together, truth, beauty, and goodness. And so what we see as beautiful takes on, I think, even more meaning, more freightedness. I am especially interested in this when I think about how it plays out for our community and for communities like ours, liberal, religious, and humanist communities, when we think about diversity, about multiculturalism, about aesthetics and music, about who we are, what we look like, and what we sound like. Like many communities, we talk a lot about wanting to be a more diverse community, wanting to have our demographics reflect more closely our neighborhood's demographics or our city's demographics, wanting the richness of relationship that comes from that, the richness that a more diverse demographic would bring to our community, more diverse people. But what it would also bring, I suspect, is more variety of aesthetic preferences, more different ideas of what it might mean to have a beautiful platform service. I'll give you an example that isn't exactly about beauty, and it's not really fitting along cultural lines either, but whatever, I like this example, so you have to listen to it. And that's clapping. The number of conversations I have had with people about clapping in platform, and I know that that conversation started about 35 years before I got here, maybe 40, maybe longer. There used to be a line in the program that I hear about, you know, that said that there was no clapping allowed at West because it was a religious service, and it disrupted it. This was many, many, many years ago. I mean, we're talking, you know, 40, 45 years ago. And then there was another line later that said that you could only have clapping at the very end of the platform to thank everybody. So that was there. We don't have any lines about clapping now, but I'm fascinated by people's different perspectives on clapping. The people for whom clapping disrupts the service and the people who couldn't imagine a religious service without clapping and I guarantee that we have both those people in this room and probably people in between on that spectrum (laughs) oh that's hilarious who just did that, very funny I asked folks to tell me in preparation for this platform, I put it on Facebook and on the West Exchange, to tell me what their fantasy song for West was. If they could have any musicians in the world at West, what would be the piece of music they'd like played here? Or what was the most beautiful piece in general? I actually got three different votes for What a Wonderful World. So you might want to add that to our, to our repertoire, including one that is that great mashup of What a Wonderful World with Over the Rainbow. You know, that one is a beautiful song. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Then I got Beautiful City from Godspell, Anything by Bob Marley, Box Mass in B minor, Imagine by John Lennon. The General by Dispatch, You Are So Beautiful by Ray Charles. A few piano concertos, Pachelbel's canon in D, John Denver's Country Roads, Ella Fitzgerald singing, I Love You Porgy. There was some classical in there, there's a little bit of jazz, there's a fair amount of folk. I was kind of hoping that someone would say like death metal. You know? <laughs> At the auction last night, one of the things that Bailey auctioned off was the chance to pick the music for a platform. And to, uh, to really get people going with that auction item, the chorus gave a lovely rendition of the beautiful song, When I Breathe In, I Breathe In Peace, When I Breathe Out, I Breathe Out Love. They sang it first the way we do it, the right way, you know. <laughs> And then they did it gospel-style. I think they really clapped on twos and fours, too, didn't they? They did. It's a good job. Then country-style, obviously. I loved that one. And then as a punk rock anthem, complete with Michelle Kaufman in a pink and purple mohawk. And the thing is, as I listened to them sing this piece, I thought... Is one automatically right? Is there a right way to breathe in and breathe out? I think that's the key. The thing is, we see beauty as the thing to aspire to, the thing we're all supposed to be shooting for one way or another, to embody it or to create it around us. And so when we have a narrow understanding of beauty, an understanding that's culturally bound or that speaks only to some of us, whether it's demographically related or just about our own experiences, when we have a narrow understanding of beauty, then we end up leaving out a lot of the world in that definition. And our definition of us gets smaller too, I think. In the month to come, we'll be talking about beauty as it relates very personally for us. Our own sense of our own beauty, beauty in our bodies and the bodies of others, and how to expand that understanding. That's in two weeks. Then, next week, before that, you'll hear from several West members talking about where they find beauty in unexpected places. All of this has to do with the idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or as philosopher David Hume put it, beauty in things exists in the mind which contemplates them. Kind of a nicer version, isn't it? So what I've been thinking about is how complicated that mind, that contemplating mind, really is, how many layers there are in it for each of us, and how the wise person will not just contemplate the beauty that it sees, but think about why it's beautiful to us. And the wisest person, perhaps, will seek to understand, really understand, that which is beautiful to another. The reason, the reason why it's wise comes back to that truth, beauty, and goodness thing. Because if beauty is truth, then it's both exhilarating and also scary to expand our understanding of it, to allow in as many versions of it as possible. Think back to that punk rock version of Breathe In, Breathe Out. Well, what if Wes was all punk rock music all the time? There's a Presbyterian church that does only punk rock for their services. What if it was all gospel or all country, (laughs) that would be nice, (laughs) would you find it beautiful? Would someone else... There's a Unitarian Universalist congregation in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places. Actually, it's a really big congregation, I think, because in some ways it is the liberal place to go in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there it is, and it was just like any, you know, Unitarian Universalist congregation until a few years ago. It was majority white, and, um, uh, you know, uh, they did a lot of Mary Oliver poems, and um, they had a chorus that sang, you know, Mary Oliver poems set to music, and so it was great, great congregation. So then this guy who, who led an African-American, majority African-American congregation, evangelical style, you actually might have heard of him, Bishop Carlton Pearson. He was on This American Life. He had, also in Tulsa, you know, uh, he had a conversion experience, and decided that he was a universalist, really. And so he lost 800 members of his congregation. That was kind of a bummer. But he still had a couple of hundred. But he wanted to spread his message out further in the world. So instead of keeping that smaller congregation together, he said to his congregation, okay, I'm going to join All Souls, Tulsa, the Unitarian Universalist congregation, and I hope that you'll come with me. And as part of the deal the senior minister at All Souls, the UU congregation. The senior minister hired his praise band. So then you had a Unitarian Universalist congregation, no longer majority white, that had a chorus that sang Mary Oliver poems set to music, very beautiful, antiphonal, kind of a choral thing, and a praise band. And they started to explore what happens with the message when the music is wildly different. They began to explore who we are. Does it matter how you sing if the words are the same? I think about that here at West sometimes, about language and music style, about what we find beautiful and all of those layers. For many of us, one of those layers is the religious upbringing that we had, right? And so there's a piece of music that sounds just beautiful to one person and is grating to another. I'm always caught off guard, poor me, raised in a humanist UU congregation. I never know the history of those pieces. And so someone will say, well, I just can't even sing that song because that's the doxology. And I'll say, really? I swear it was about pine cones. Wasn't it about pine cones? I've only sung it with pine cones. If I were picking the music every Sunday to be what's most beautiful to me, we would have on loop a mix of Alison Krauss doing gospel and bluegrass, Ani DeFranco and Dar Williams. Endless loop, really. You would learn a lot about me. You'd hear a lot of profanity, too. Oh, Ani. (laughs) (laughs) And I might be happy. (laughs) But I wouldn't get to learn about anybody else from that music. I wouldn't get to hear something different, something that isn't quite beautiful to my ear, but that someone else listens to with tears streaming down their face. And so we work in a community like ours to hear what it is that might be beautiful to someone else, because they have a different history around that particular piece of music or a different cultural context or just a different ear or eye than we do. And it's not just because we want to be able to share in the beauty, but because we want to be able to share in the truth, in the goodness that they see there. Frederick, the little mouse in our story this morning, gathered stories and colors and rays of sun and words. He gathered beauty because he knew that beauty can keep you alive in the cold, that truth and goodness can keep you alive. It's time for another Mary Oliver poem. This one's called the swan. Did you too see it drifting all night on the black river? Did you see it in the morning rising into the silvery air? An armful of white blossoms, a perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings, a snowbank, a bank of lilies biting the air with its black beak. Did you hear it, fluting and whistling, a shrill, dark music like the rain pelting the trees like a waterfall knifing down the black ledges? And did you see it, finally, just under the clouds, a white cross streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like the stretching light of the river, And did you feel it in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you, too, finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life? Toni Morrison wrote in The Bluest Eye, Beauty was not simply something to behold it was something one could do and years and years and years before that rumi wrote let the beauty we love become the good we do have you finally figured out to what beauty is for that's the thing i think it has to be for something It has to be the kind of beauty that connects you to another person or the kind that breaks your heart or beauty that provides the vision of the world you wish for, the world you seek to create, or beauty that reminds you of grace or possibility or hope or the unexpected, beauty that gets you through the cold winter, beauty that tells you something about who you are, And who someone else is, too. That tells us what the world is, all together. I close with a poem from Pat Main Ellis. The title is, Scientists Find Universe Awash in Tiny Diamonds. With an asterisk. Quotations, and that's one of them found in a newspaper clipping on the subject. But haven't we always known? The shimmer of trees, the shaking of flames, every cloud lined with something, clean water sings right to the belly, scouring us with its purity. It, too, is awash with diamonds. So small that trillions could rest on the head of a pin. It is not unwise, then, to say that the air is hung close with diamonds, that we breathe diamond, our lungs hoarding, exchanging our blood, sowing them rich and thick along every course it takes. Does this explain why some of us are so hard, why some of us shine, why we are all precious, That we are awash in creation, spumed with diamonds, shot through with beauty, that survived the deaths of stars.